Hello again, and welcome to the Curse Discussions podcast. As always, I am Chucky Arla. With me today, we have the illustrious Lap Gong Gong and the esteemed uh, Mr. Alex Forrest. Thank you for mispronouncing my name, Chucky. You've only known me for about, what, five years now? <laughs> Lap Gong Leong, is that better? Yes. Okay. Six years, six years. All right. Well, now that we've got that, uh, that's, that's a bit awkward. But to move on to the uh, show's topic. So today we're going to be discussing, um, I guess, broadly the topic of uh, urbanization, uh, urban planning, um, as well as just like transportation, infrastructure, all that kind of stuff that goes in that basket. Yeah, all that good shit. Yes, exactly. All that good shit. Rail. Or all that bad shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. As 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 many know, you know, as a libertarian, I really have a uh, a profound hatred of roads. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a funny, you know, it's a interesting, you know, caricature or a meme or whatever. But um, that's was an argument I heard back in sort of the Ron Paul days around um, you know, twenty twelve or something. Uh-huh. I heard an argument once it was from libertarians and they would talk about how roads are kind of a uh, an avenue that the government steered um, the market down that it wouldn't otherwise have gone down and they're saying that if not for uh, you know, government subsidized road production cars would have been designed such that they could just drive pretty much off road I don't know do you guys have any opinion on that I think that's hilarious um, and probably not true um, however, there's no questioning that, you know, the government spending on roads and their prioritization of them did have like some consequences, which distorted what would have just been a market outcome. Um, like I, I, th- I think cars would have proliferated anyway, um, because they offered concrete advantages, but I don't know. I also think it probably wouldn't have looked quite the way it does now. I guess it goes back to that age old question. Has there ever been a pure market outcome free from government? And no, I'd not. say... 50-50. We know that Facebook is purely a private thing, but I, I guess it's it's how everybody says Tesla really invented what Marconi invented because Marconi used all of Tesla's patents. It's a very juvenile argument used by a lot of... Let, let me ask you, so you, you mentioned Facebook as a private thing. What do you mean exactly by that? You said Facebook is wholly a private well, I don't thing. Think, I don't think the government would have ever invented Facebook. Facebook, you know, as a thing. I don't think if the government were to... You don't think the government would have come up with just, you know, a a social profiling system where people just well, can log information about themselves and what they're up to every day? Uh, <laughs> well, when you put it that way... I think a government system of the internet would have been much more of a social credit system like the one they're using in China. Right. I don't think that... Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Google would ever have been invented by by DARPA. I mean, that would just be crazy. The, the, the roots of it, maybe, it's like, was Bitcoin invented by the government? Is Satoshi Nakamoto really a... I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto is a Fed, and uh, yeah. Bitcoin is a massive uh, honeypot. If, if you invest in Bitcoin, that's basically just a way to like let the government know that you're a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation's oh, turning out for the worse. Uh, well, what this guy's hello. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's ask. Let let's get back to the question at hand of urban planning, classical architecture, yay or nay? Um, hmm. That that's an you tackle this one, Alex. <laughs> yeah, that's an architecture question, not an urban planning question. Um, I can't imagine how sterile a city that was entirely classical architecture would be. That'd be boring and shitty as fuck but um why do you hate venice why do you hate zurich why do you hate i'm sorry never mind yeah i was gonna say none of those cities are classical like damn you heard of the renaissance right um yeah. but anyway what was i saying um yeah classical architecture uh it's it's iconic it's good for signature buildings i guess um but even then you know you want a little bit of variety i think oh, i'd love so you you would you say you're a big brain centrist on this question? 
Well, oh, two days. I'm, asking, I'm asking this question because I really want Penn Station to be rebuilt. I really want Penn Station to be rebuilt. I think railway stations, if there's anything the government, if there's anything I don't like about modern society, it's just goddamn Hudson Yards in New York City. There was the genius idea to build a whole glass platform all over the old railroads. Why is that a genius so idea? It's not a genius idea. It's just. Oh, what do you mean? You just said it was. Okay, I was being sarcastic. But it yeah. was. Oh, okay. It was. I just never got the idea of Liverpool One or huge shopping centers or whatever the hell that was. But, God, wouldn't it be great to rebuild a beautiful neoclassical building, reconstruct all of it, just like they did to the old churches of Dresden. I think it'd be pretty cool. Um, I also don't think it would be a very viable, like, uh, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't scale really. Like there, there's only one Penn station, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and rebuilding that. Yeah. I think, I think totally as an architectural marvel, um, as as a gem of private industry, yeah, let's let's get to it. Um, but you know, you're not gonna have a Penn Station in every city because every city nope. is New York. You know. So when you say every city isn't New York, are you saying that it you know it's not uh, the cities aren't big enough or don't have enough economic activity to justify that kind of expenditure? No, because there are plenty of peers of New York, and there are plenty of cities that are larger than New York. Um, but that Penn. Penn Station was like a, a key part of New York's history, I think, um, and sort of like a, a trophy of the Gilded Age. And it's a shame that that style of architecture just had such a backlash and they tore it all down. Um, it'd be nice to have it back. Okay, but um, so but when you say, though, that, you know, so every city isn't New York, I guess it, you, you just mean that um, it, it would be kind of dumb if we just kind of had that same sort of architecture everywhere and that would diminish oh, the yeah, I do think yes yes that'd be, that'd be like incredibly just, depressing it would what take I just really like out of society is a bit of civic pride and a bit of civic beauty again i mean you look at this you look at saint george's hall in liverpool or you you look at i, I guess it's all about if you look at charleston or savannah even though those towns are stagnant as hell as hell and full of all these goddamn hair dying assholes <laughs> they have civic pride yes, they have no, civic no. pride the, the layout is beautiful the houses are great the heat is unbearable but you know if you're a good artistic student Wait, or where you, are we talking about again Everyone's savannah georgia hot cities is a fucking pussy what uh, no uh, give me 95 and humid every day of the week please uh, where are you from weather. alex massachusetts oh okay well, that doesn't really. City in Massachusetts. Uh, we we get 95 and humid for like at least a few weeks in the summer, um, and that is hands down the best time of year. Um, also, whenever I go on vacation, I try to find places with similar weather. Uh, well, very. You, you know, like Japan. The Merzit. Sorry. Um. No, no random singing lap. Let's uh, avoid. I, I guess. I guess what I would really like and to do. You know, I, I feel like this conversation is going nowhere. What? I guess my final point is this: a good, a good city. We still have another fifty minutes, so let's hope this is not your final point. Final point, damn. A good city is like a good family. It needs to work contiguously, but it also should have a bit of individuality in each district, and. I was really worried about this metaphor, but that's actually pretty solid. I like it. <laughs> just because you build a whole, just because you reclaim some land and build a nice Zaha Zaha Hadid structure and call it the West Kowloon Ter Cultural District, <laughs> it the West Kowloon Cultural District. It would be far more organic to just fund artists yeah. and give them cheap space. Which then creates the cultural legacy. I dig it. Just because you annoy what what were you saying, Alex? I was saying I dig the idea, but just that cheap space is a bit of a um, bit of a hard thing to find in West Kowloon. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. The whole idea of West Kowloon is just—I mean, 
West Kowloon is basically reclaimed land, and right. I don't even really want to think about how Hong Kong designs housing anymore. It's just. What do you mean? Have, have you ever seen an average Hong Kong apartment? Uh, no. Uh, is I... that like those cages they live in or whatever? Not much, yeah. Right? I it's mean, really uh, it could be mistaken. It's not really that bad, but okay, getting there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I, I was talking to Andriago about this a while back, and we were talking uh-huh. about how, in a in a lot of um, you know the highly urbanized uh, East Asian areas, um, like the example we were talking about was Japan. Um, mm. You know, even though they have a relatively high standard of living, right, yeah, like you know they. They ha- they live in these condi- like you know they-, they live in these little poverty boxes. Basically. Are are you shitting me? What the average Japanese house is larger than the average UK house. Sure, but oh, I'm talking about like in the apartments. I don't know. Yeah, but you know the 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 people who live in apartments in Japan are kind of like the same people who live in apartments in America. They're not exactly winning. Um, although they are paying a lot less for their apartments and they're usually in much cleaner neighborhoods and shit like that. So like, they're kind of winning. I guess Uh, I'm BTFO then. What I do like about Japan is that real estate prices are low and living is sort of cheap. If you know how to pair yourself and sushi, sushi is cheap and good. You know, you don't have to pay the, the amount of quality that you get for what you pay for in Japan is like truly earth-shattering i don't know how to explain this to people who haven't been there but boston fried chicken that shit (laughs) wait what (laughs) are we talking about boston fried chicken they need to it is it is stupid good dude you can get i when i go on vacation in japan i i eat more than 50 percent of my meals are lawson um and and i don't regret a fucking minute of it it's so fucking good even the shopping malls have good restaurants. That is, yeah, no, it's it's that there's a lot of expensive shit that you'll never get to have and eat to duck. Well, I mean, there there's a lot of expensive shit. I'm sorry, that's just the autism doing it again. It happens, man. It happens. We'll, we'll <laughs> together. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the the point of this podcast is uh, a bunch of uh, young men coming together to uh, you know treat their oh, autism. Okay. It's a therapeutic podcasting. Anyway. Alex, what's your fa- as an urban planning student? I assume that. What's your favorite city? My favorite city uh, is. I, it has to be Tokyo. I don't know what I could recommend about that. Like my yeah, my personal favorite is probably Boston, but it, I don't know. Boston has a, a lot of problems. I'm unfairly fond of it because I'm from there. Like I, I couldn't, with a straight face, say that Boston is a better city than Tokyo, even if. I would rather live in Boston. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like my, my affection for Boston is kind of highly aspirational. It's like a, a parent who's really fond of like their only child, even though their child is like five and doesn't know not to eat glue yet. You know what I mean? Like they, they love what that child could be, might be eventually. Um, yeah. because well, I know a guy who's connected to a guy who, who, who's uh, making up Echo Atlantic, which is basically a bunch of reclaimed land in the in the port of Lagos and Nigeria. Oh I that project, yeah. It's it's gonna be really great at this point. They just need to make sure it's high end residential areas so Africa finally has a decent <laughs> city to have. Otherwise everybody might as well just go back to Joburg. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, the the ones that they took from uh, South Africa are really just not doing the trick, huh? You know, it's just Africa's weird when it comes to cities. All of them are quite bad. I don't like them at all. Yeah, I don't know really much about African cities. The peaceful ones like Gaborone are just boring and the dangerous ones will kill you. I mean, very rarely do you have like a real metropolis like Johannesburg or Cape Town. Cape Town's just basically a vacation destination at this point. You know, all things considered, that's really quite an accomplishment uh con- compared to what it could be. Um yeah, but it won't be that way for long. Haven't you guys seen Lauren Southern's documentary? I what now? I no. To that sexy asshole. <laughs> Lauren Southern is is like pretty hot. Would would bang. Um, her sister is 
arguably hotter, but I don't know. I have my Southern moments. Southern has a sister? Where I really decided. Yes, what the fuck? Have you not seen Southern's sister? Isn't it a sin to, Are like, say Lauren Southern's hot or something? Holy shit. Wait a minute. You <laughs> Holy Are crap. You... Somebody <laughs> just animate the fuck out of reality. I'm yeah, seeing pictures up, right now. Dude, Jesus Lauren Southern's sister is disgustingly hot. Oh, Check you're it looking out. At, you're talking about Jess Southern? Yeah. yeah. Jess Southern. Yeah, My... I've seen the photo shoot. <laughs> You've seen the famous one, but have you seen her others? Like, no. damn, her Instagram's great. This person looks like she's been drawn on somebody's iron board. Yeah, how much for premium, <laughs> queen? <laughs> uh, I don't know. White people are weird. White women are even weirder. They age so rapidly and... Uh, Okay, now that's that's not safe or anything. Um, hey, so, okay, this is a safe zone. <laughs> I mean, I kind of alerted my Twitter followers to this, and if any of them are listening, no, well, no this is not this is not a live stream. We're recording this. It's going to be tomorrow. We're posting this. Yeah, this is going. This is for a podcast. Also, Lap, what's your Twitter? Lap Gong Leong. All right, give me a sec. God damn. Okay. What? Yes, Southern. Yeah. No, she's something else, huh? All right, so this is something an angle I, I wanted to see if you guys had an opinion about. So, do you guys know anything about uh, I, Elaine? I What's up? I just followed you. Go on. Do you guys know anything about uh, Elaine Chow? Her policies as uh, transportation oh, secretary. Dude. Okay, now this is. I don't. I was gonna say I, I don't either. I'm sorry. Just a a oh, you know that was really anticlimactic. You really built that up. Like, okay, like, uh, let's get going. I don't know. Wait, any- <laughs> wait, wait, hear me out, though. Hear me out, though. Um, I, I was just going to say that I, I find it very difficult to uh, care much about, I guess, what high-level, you know, lifetime bureaucrats have to say about this. Because, like, they've they've had the capacity to, to shape transportation for a long time. And, you know, the results are just not very impressive. So um, sure. I tune it out. Sure. I remember, like, the last time I cared about a American like public official who had a position on transit was um who who was the fucking guy under Obama? I think term one Ray, what's his name? Roy LaHood. Ray LaHood. Ray Ray LaHood, was it? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, okay. Um I saw Ray LaHood at a conference in DC. Um and that was about it. <laughs> he didn't he didn't have anything interesting to say. Um, but you, well, why did you, what made you care about him in the first place? Because I was younger and more naive. Um, oh, I see. and I thought that would be sort of like the, the place to go for, I don't know. And I mean, Obama had done his whole high speed rail shtick. Uh, I don't know. It's Just give any goddamn money to it. But <laughs> that is a perennial thing. Um, right. That we talk about in American politics, of course, right? It's oh, like, we love just, you know, floating it and then, you know, doing fuck all. Yes. Uh, funny story. So Western Massachusetts, uh, the, the organization that I work for now helps to secure something to the tune of like $70 million of federal high-speed rail money um, what? to renovate an Amtrak line. Oh. Or sorry, renovate a freight rail line so that Amtrak could run over it. Um, and, you know, so, so this is before I started working there, but um, at the time they were going through uh, the motions of like securing the funding. And so they said, oh, yeah, it's is for a, a high-speed rail line. What's high-speed? 79 miles an hour. Like, my God. They're, they're literally sabotaging the very fucking concept. I'm so mad. For the uninitiated, what actually is high-speed rail? Like- uh, about the, the typical threshold is 125 miles an hour. Okay. Lame. Yeah, and that's that's the threshold. That's like That, that was what we hit in 1964 in Japan. Um, so the, the modern standard is close to 186 miles an hour. So, um, if you could kind of fill me in on what would be the, cause, okay. So as a libertarian, I'm generally <laughs> skeptical of like, you know, large government investments. In fact, I, w- I would say I'm, I'm extremely skeptical. So if you could make right a case be- real quick, why, why should we have high speed rail in the U S or, or why Actually, should the government spend money? The government shouldn't do oh, what okay. fucking Texas is doing. Are you, are you kidding me, dude? Texas, Texas just has a turnkey project. They contracted JR Central, um, or sorry, I should say JR Central contracted uh, contacted them and said, hey, you know, we understand that uh, you're maybe interested in high-speed rail between Houston and Dallas. 
we'll do the whole thing for you. Um, you don't need to spend any government money on it, just as long as we get to operate it and keep the profit. Um, okay. And so that's going on ahead. Uh, it will probably be done before California's. It will certainly be more successful. Um, and assuming that JR Central have to does... be in Texas, though. What's up? Fucking Texas. Why do you hate Texas, dude? <laughs> I just feel like it could be in a much better place, like, you know, um... What, like California? Don't make me laugh. No, no, New England. New England Agreed. needs it. New England needs it, but holy shit, dude. Um, have you, have you met New England property owners in, like, fucking Connecticut? Like, every part of New England where it would be most useful, we would need some degree of, like, mild Stalinism to actually get that to go through you're yeah, talking about in terms really of eminent wanna, domain i don't really want to alienate all that tax revenue but you know right it's it's i just i just want to get i just want to get out of the goddamn acela zone acela isn't even great i was on the acela no, trash it's very expensive overpriced trash too um it, i don't no, know how to get away with it except you know, that what, I, you know what i dream of when i when i want when i create a high-speed rail in my rail map in my mind okay Here's what I here's what I want. I want all of New England with New York as the starting point and Canada as the end point. I want it to go to Boston. I want it to go to Portland. I want it to go to uh, you know. I want it to go to Western New York. Not only that, I want it to go all the way to Toronto. Um, Lap, follow me back on Twitter and I'll retweet the uh, the map of um, my sketch for high speed rail corridors in New England. Oh good, you, you know, never mind. You know what? What's your account again? Three eight zero K M H. Three eight zero K N H. What the hell no, does it? K M H. K M H. Yeah. If I can bring this back for a second. Shoot. Uh, so we were talking about. Um, you mentioned like an, an initiative that's now, I guess, underway in Texas for for high speed rail, and and you said yes. that 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 basically is just like a allowing the <laughs> private sector to do it. Um. So if if not, well, uh, hold on. I want to be very clear about one okay. thing. It's about allowing a particular company to do it, not the private sector as some like amorphous general. It's it's a particular company with demonstrated competence at operating high speed rail, which is going to which has offered to come in and build this. Okay. Um, just, what just the, hell the, the market in quotes do it would probably be an absolute clusterfuck. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. That sounds cronious. <laughs> well, yeah, it does sound. Oh, what you want, man? But- but but having a consortium, as in the example of Singapore, yeah, have you seen Kuala Lumpur, is not great. Alex Forrest makes the trains run on time. Alex Forrest, what the hell is the Collegian? Oh, finally found it. Mapping every railway in oh. New York. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going through much more recent tweets. I'll retweet the one that I'm talking about. Um, Autistic. Yeah, you're looking through my old college pictures, dude. College is gay. All right. Well, let it me is. just yeah. RT. Who's your? Is that your girlfriend? All right. Hang that on. Yeah. What? Years ago? Yeah. Years ago or a year ago? If I could just years uh... ago, like uh, <laughs> nine years ago. Oh shit. Yeah. So we're gonna have to cut off this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I am gonna have to cut <laughs> off this conversation. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what I wanted to ask was, is that, okay, so what would you say then is if if it doesn't actually require like a massive infusion of, um, you know, government spending to get something like that done and you can just contract it out to the private sector what, or not to, to a particular company, um, what would you say is the main political obstacle that's stopping the development of uh, okay. high-speed rail? Um, I'm going to answer the question a little obliquely, but I hope you'll be satisfied. Um, the problem is that trying to start with high-speed rail is like trying to build a house roof first. Um, the real money makers in privatized rail in countries where this works, like Japan, are the commuter railways, um, the suburban railways. Those are the fucking bank makers, all right? They are so goddamn rich. Um, they carry far more people um, there is there is a legit market there. You know, none of this crony stuff uh, that you're insinuating earlier. Um, and if if we're interested in making better railways in America, we should start with making the railways which overwhelmingly the most Americans actually use today uh, better. 
you know, we should we should make sure our subway stations are clean, that our trains are comfortable, you know, that everything is well lit, that it's safe, that the fares actually reflect the cost of providing service, um, all these things. Once we start doing that, once we can sort of, you know, get that ship uh, back, you know, to uh, fucking seaworthiness. What a terrible metaphor. Um, <laughs> once, once we can fucking fix up... Uh, uh, subways and commuter railways in America today, then then we can talk about connecting cities which support those with high speed rail. Okay, so you you talked about so making first better the transportation that most Americans actually use. Mm. I, you know, for the uninitiated, again, um, what how does the uh, statistical breakdown? look on that like what kinds of rail systems do uh, are are most widely used by uh, give me a sec i will pull up exact figures hang on god damn computer are we talking mostly about uh you know subways or like in urban environments it is subways first uh by by a substantial margin um but just a moment man okay because i do know that um Almost everyone that I know who lives in New York City just constantly yeah. complains about the quality of the subways. The New York City subway is one of the most miserable experiences in the world. Um, well, and that's it only because so much better. That's only because people it's have not been putting the money that, that they should have put in. And even then, Sounds status um, to the me. subway... <laughs> well, if you're going to have a subway, you have to fund it. You know, you can't have yeah. Scandinavian pu- public services. Chucky, I, I got to say, That's I don't think there's anything really statist about charging a fare that reflects the cost of providing service. Oh, shit. I think that right, and that this is this is a substantial problem for the New York City subway is that they don't do that. Um, that they charge a flat rate no matter how far you're going, and even with that flat rate, it is nowhere near the cost of the trip. So, is the idea for that? Uh, to like subsidize lower income riders. Well, they could do it a lot better through. Yeah, if you um, want to subsidize lower income riders, you need to make an exception pro. You know, connected to fucking social security or something, but have a program which you know they have to apply for that subsidy. Don't do it across the board for every fucking passenger. That's right. stupid. Okay, that sounds like a smart opinion. <laughs> Hong Kong is a very has a very good metro system, but I don't like it. It just feels kind of. It's... So it's very, it's very good, but you don't like it. Yeah, yeah. What do you, please elaborate. Just aesthetically, it's not as beautiful. Aesthetically, it just looks like a hotel lobby. What would you uh, say is an example of a aesthetically beautiful transportation system? The L train and the Paris Metro. Okay. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Alex? The uh, most as- top five uh, anime aesthetic railways. All right, uh, the Oraki Railway in the world. Hey, Lap, we're going to need you to not uh, randomly start humming. Uh, <laughs> God fucking, what is with the goddamn echo? So, oh, is there an know, echo? But, by the way, I just pulled up my statistics. Phew, took me a while. Um, so in the USA, uh, subways carry 3.9 billion people a year. Um, commuter rail, 530 million. Uh, streetcars and light rail, 490 million, and then Amtrak, 31 million. So you can see, you know, the we're talking orders of magnitude more ridership on subways than on commuter rail, and then another order of magnitude more on commuter rail than on Amtrak. Okay, so if you we were looking to reform, well, we would right. probably if want, you want to reform. You start your reforms with those subways. Okay. You know, that you start. Sense. You have to, you know, clean them, but then keep them clean. Figure out how to run a maintenance schedule, which doesn't involve shutting down service. Like, I don't know, the, the Oraku Railway in Japan, the one that I am most familiar with, which I've spent the most time with, um, they just this year uh, wrapped up something like a 30-year-long project to quadruple track their main line through the city of Tokyo. Um, and so we're, we're talking about substantial infrastructure investment to a route which is used by like 2 million people every single day. Um in the middle of the world's largest city. 
And they accomplished all of this without ever interrupting service. You know, there, there was no, oh, we're closing the line on Saturdays or some shit like that. Um, they did all their construction while trains were running. And, you know, now they're able to open it, you know, rightfully proud of themselves uh, and just expand the uh, service frequency, you know, with, without fucking people over on the way there. Ah, uh, so is that because... Is the reason that they're they have such superior rail service because their railways are like folded a thousand times or something? You know, <laughs> you joke, but uh, um, I did see an interesting bit about um, the grade of steel which is used for Japanese rails and uh, Japanese train wheels um, to the point that American freight railways import them. Um, if you're okay. Warren Buffett and you're renovating the main line on the Burlington Northern Santa Fe. Um, you're going to buy your tracks uh, from Osaka. And th- that's I'm not interesting. You. Why is it that uh, they have such high quality? Uh, you know, because they have a, because they have a substantial domestic market for it, so it is economically viable to manufacture it locally. Okay. Yeah, I don't get it. Japan all has all of this great stuff, but their economy is still crap. Oh my God! You can't seriously believe that. Are you joking? Well, no, no, no. It's just, it's, it's just clear that even though the Japanese economy has all of these intellectual assets, all of this excellent manufacturing, all of these, they're not technically. I mean, they're not exactly China. Yeah, they're not where they used to I be. I know which one I would rather live in. Yes, I would rather live in Japan, but you know. Can you, you elaborate know, on that lap? What do you mean by the not GDP, exactly China? Abenomics has not worked. Abe Abenomics, you know, everything from structural reform to central bank printing, printing print. It it, it okay. Let, let's say this. Okay. Abenomics arrows were very well when when he talked about Abenomics. He implied that there was going to be an equal part of structural reforms, and I forgot what the second arrow was, <laughs> and, uh, and then some sort of printing money. All he did was print money and not actually enact any structural reforms at all. That, that sounds about right to me, yeah. Uh, and, but I and, don't really know in great detail what his um, program was about. I, I mean, know the printing money part. The lost decade is turning out... To, the lost decade is going to start turning 30 in a while. Uh-huh. I mean, GDP growth has started to grow very well. Yeah, and, you know, by and, the way, that over the course of 30 years of GDP flatlining, the quality of life in Japan accelerated tremendously. Like, they're yeah. eating way better food. They're eating more diverse diets. They're yes. living more comfortably. I like, get it, but that's only because Japan is literally shrinking. I know. Isn't it awesome? No, it's not awesome. Japan should have 100 million people. Yeah, they'll get back to that eventually. Give them time. I mean, I think of it as like an isostatic rebound, okay? Um, When Tokyo was exploding in size in the latter half of the 20th century, uh, after it was done, like, exploding literally, um, (laughs) it... They, it basically, it grew by importing most of Japan's rural population, right? Um, and now the, the rural population of Japan is still sort of like, still just wrapping up its emptying out phase. Um, but you're beginning to see the return uh, as people in Tokyo who have now, you know, made their money and established their lives and have the capacity to work from kind of anywhere are beginning to move back out into the countryside. Um, and meanwhile, out in the countryside where the population decline is, you know, most acutely felt, because, you know, if you if you look at Tokyo, Tokyo is still growing. It's literally still getting bigger every year. Um, I prefer – I've only been to Tokyo a lot. I've only <laughs> been to Osaka once. Yeah. And I've never been to Hokkaido, but the city I really want to go to is Fukuoka. I've been to Fukuoka and I've been to Sapporo and I've been to Osaka and Tokyo. Um, I keep hearing great things about Fukuoka, how it's like – the youngest city, the startup city, the city of the future. I mean, I just really want to go to Fukuoka for some reason. I think you should check it out, but I should also caution you that that is, like, absolutely 100% a marketing fucking scam. Um, the city of the future is Tokyo. Like, otherwise, Fukuoka would be the largest in Japan. Um, what, so what's the point of Fukuoka, then? The point of Fukuoka is probably that it is... I, I'm sure it is actually growing, and I wouldn't be surprised to find that it has like a high startup rate and like a, a young population. But 
it's it's still busy playing catch up, and it's not really sustaining a lot of economic activity for the rest of the island of Kyushu. Whereas Tokyo is busy creating enough economic activity to sustain the entire rest of Japan. Um, it's you know. What do you think is the second city of Japan? Is it Yokohama or Osaka? I think it's Osaka. God damn it. Okay, fine. And uh, why? Can you elaborate on that? Because Yokohama is it, Yokohama would be nothing without Tokyo, whereas Osaka is the center of its own sort of metropolitan region. Kansai, uh, Kansai. Like Yokohama tie. Yo, uh, sorry. Tokyo ties in cities like Yokohama, Saitama, and Chiba, um, the same way that Osaka ties in larger. Well, actually, I don't know if they are larger, um, but you know, other large cities like Kyoto, Kobe. Um, Oh, God, I hate talking about you. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. okay, there is one answer here. Where where do you like to get sushi? To be honest, um, I don't really get a lot of sushi when I'm in Japan. When I'm in Japan, I get curry, I get onigiri, um, I get ramen, I get fried meat. You know. Okay, why don't you... That's such a fucking student diet. You might as well just go to Kakuten and say, Oh, you accept me, man. I am so Japanese. <laughs> oh, look at me I eat fried chicken wings from the Robataya I'm such a student I study engineering at TIT <laughs> what's that uh, copy paste like Ken San or whatever right right yes um, oh my god legendary yeah yeah. Um, Although I think it might have been eclipsed in status by uh, the great response Rawhide Kobayashi Oh my god, oh, that's a billion times But the thing is, that would be nothing without the original Ken-san thing. If, think of it as a uh, Tokyo and Yokohama relationship. Okay, yeah. What the fuck is Rawhide Kobayashi? <laughs> it seems like... Oh, it seems like a you should, I'm surprised you don't know it. But yeah, you'll you'll see it soon, don't worry. It's... Howdy, my name is Raw. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> That guy is not real. That guy is some California fuckhead who just invented himself like that to make a meme, and he succeeded. Okay. Yeehaw! Well, I'm glad we've established that. So, um, this is kind of to shift in, in topics a little bit here. Um, I've heard an argument that with the rise of ride-sharing, you know, insurgent kind of um, markets like Uber and, and Lyft... Um, that that might be, to some degree at least, displacing uh, some kinds of like urban uh, railway uh, transportation. Is that totally like retarded, or is there anything to that? Do you think? I don't think it's retarded at all. Let me give you an anecdote and no empirical evidence at all. Okay. Because here's a lap anecdote. In New York City, ride-sharing ride is horrible. It's not like in Boston. It's not like in other cities where it's easy and nice. Ride sharing is only good if you pay up. But even then, it is so much better than a taxi because I don't have to tell them the cross number or the cross street cross section. I can just shut up. I can be in the car, talk to ladies. I can just be damn loud well as a pimp. Really, I, I can just be myself, and take a long nap if I want to. And if I pay up for UberX, I could change the address. I can input whatever I want. I could, I mean... It, you can make him drive around all day. It's an expensive luxury, but it's a worthy expensive luxury. Fuck public transportation. Ride sharing is everybody's limo driver. Ride sharing is public transportation, dumbass. Okay, then it's it's costly, right? Okay, fine. Yes, fine. no, it's premium public transportation. It's very nice. Um, I I use rideshare more sort of like for getting drunk at night. I occasionally use it to go to work. Um, but uh, do you do uh, do you do sidecar or uh? No, I do Uber. God, what the hell? What the hell has happened to sidecar? I don't know, dude. I mean, that is just... I don't, know who they are. I don't think I've ever even heard of that. What is Sidecar? I've definitely heard of them, but I don't remember who the fuck they are. I mean, I'm like a rural bumpkin broadcasting from an undisclosed location. So you guys are going to have to fill me in here. Okay. Are you, uh, are you here to talk about... Let me cut in here, because I need to give my anecdote about Uber. Go um, ahead. Although, sorry, this isn't an anecdote. This is... Uh, <laughs> 
not empirical data either. So I guess it's an anecdote in that it's a study that I read, um, which concerns uh, exactly what Uber is taking rides away from. Um, and this concerns Uber, or it concerns mode share for accessing Boston's Logan International Airport. Um, ridership on the subway and on the, uh, the, Boston has a bus which goes to the airport as well, um, has remained pretty much constant. Hasn't gone up, hasn't gone down. Um, ridership on Uber to the airport has exploded. It is now, you know, the, the most dominant way of people getting to the airport. What has absolutely collapsed is people taking their own cars and parking in long term or having their friends or parents or whatever drop them off at the airport. That is going out the fucking window. Nobody wants to do that anymore. Um, so this, this is an isolated example, obviously. I think it's not unrealistic to expect that Uber would have, like, sharking effects, um on conventional public transit in other markets, but just that, I don't know, it's, it's amazing to me the extent to which people just sort of buy these stories at face value. They hear them in the media. They spend half their time talking about why the media is unreliable, but they hear one thing and they're like, Oh, that sounds about right. Um, I feel personally attacked by this relatable content. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say the P word. I just. What are you talking about, Lev? Just don't like it when plebes do all this. I thought it was a different P word. You know, all this bullshit around the aristocracy of labor and all that crap. Mm. Oh, I needs my job. I'm not going to be that insensitive and say learn to code like other neoliberals. <laughs> What I do want to say is that the future is here and government will not help you. Yeah. So we might as well just replace Social Security with basic income, even if it is slightly more expensive than tax rates. Okay. Well, that's an interesting idea. I mean, this is veering off topic a little bit, but what do you guys think about um, the uh, kind of impending the or the idea at least of an impending um crisis of employment where you know jobs become automated sometime in the next century and basically we just have tons of tons of people that are basically just useless i, I trust that probably isn't going to happen you say that's probably not going to happen and he that's said and he and he said that his proudest achievement or or his or his most prescient work was writing a writing about automation in the Menninger Clinic in 1975, and uh, it was it was just really. He told me it was a it was a problem my generation will have to grapple with, and what I you know and and I think about automation is that yes we have to accept it because that's how progress is. I think libertarians are under have always historically underestimated how much they win and overestimated their political worth. Libertarians, libertarian ideas may, we, we may not have created the political and societal uh, results that we wanted, but we created well, the wait, end. Wait, I thought we were talking about automation here. And the end game, and, and automation ties into that as well as, you know, all this yes, stuff. The automation is the coming thing, and it is the way that libertarians are going to take over the world. Kind of the same way that, uh, you know, no, Manchester... No, 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 no. Listen, to me, listen to me, listen to me. Libertarians, we have helped create a world that is advancing so rapidly. A in society, the, perhaps. It, not not in the physical sense. We but live in, the, in a society. Thank in, you. In technological sense. Where no matter what government or society or, or businesses or even individuals do, they cannot stop the arc towards automation. They cannot stop progress. Yeah. And even if the government were to were to expand into New New Deal 3.0 and social democratic parties take over the world. That's not going to. That's not going to stop the charge of what's happening today. Well, what is happening is that capitalism does no longer needs capital. Capitalism no longer needs markets to work. I, I don't know about that. What do you? What exactly yeah. do you mean? 
Capitalism no longer rules to work. It can. It is finally reaching a level of some sort of pseudo self-regulation. Now, now Gene Tarol might be right. Self-regulation is self-serving, but he's wrong to think that the state will somehow make a comeback and and uh, you know and structurally reform ourselves to have uh, houses and all that crap. It's it's it's. I am heartened by the fact that automation has helped, that we libertarians are approaching a world where we will be needed more than ever before. Well, regardless of, you know, libertarians' exact uh, place in all this uh, mess, let me bring it back to Alex and ask you for a second. So you, you said that uh, you're very skeptical of this narrative of technological unemployment in the long term. Can you tell me why? Yes, um, just because just because we've been so spectacularly wrong about these kinds of things in the past. I'm thinking about um, in the mid 19th century. There's uh, there's a lot of excitement, you know, about the the early industrial revolution. Cities like Manchester in England, um, and, and it was seen, you know, these these titanic mills um, with you know immense immense economy of scale um, and tremendous output, you know, unprecedented in the world at the time. Um, they they were absolutely going to be the way of the future. A city like Manchester was, you know, the way forward, whereas those old cluttered cities like London, which, you know, can't even organize themselves around a single industry, um, but are instead busy occupying themselves with a million different things at a time, uh, those are obviously confused and going the way of the dinosaur. And, well, surprise, other way around. Um, the fact that, you know, all that, all that investment into uh, those very, very efficient mills in Manchester just meant that the entire city sort of became obsolete at around the same time. Um, whereas cities that made sort of smaller bets and piecemeal investments, they uh, actually sort of stayed viable. What, uh, uh, what, what city other than London has stayed viable in the UK? In the UK, none, just London. I, Birmingham for a while. I don't know how Birmingham is doing that. <laughs> yeah, they were doing okay up until like maybe the 70s. Um but yeah, not really anymore. Well, let me let me say though, uh -huh. I, I I think that although you can talk about historical examples, and I I think that that's fair, right? I mean, another good example of this is of um the a complementary uh, role of technology, and where it didn't increase decrease employment substantially was with the ATMs, right? Everyone was thinking that bank tellers would become obsolete, but I think. They actually became more employed, and that's something the American Enterprise right. Institute, I think, wrote right, right. wrote about. Um, but the other thing I is... I remember vaguely some statistic about there being more um, sailboats nowadays than there were back in the age of sail, um, now that it's become kind of just like a novelty thing uh, for rich people and pleasure seekers. Sure. Um, it's, it's actually proliferated um, rather than going extinct because of steam power. But we have to ask ourselves, though... Yeah, uh, it, it seems like there's yeah. there's a, a chance at least that we could be dealing with something fundamentally different when we're talking about like AI, right? Because you know if there's something that really can do everything a human can do, right, and can can just be like owned, right? Like you know, it, and it not only can do everything a human can do, can do everything a human can do like better than a human, right? In most of these cases where we're dealing with oh, people didn't actually become unemployed. What happened was... They okay, so hold on. Can I, can I just pose very briefly like a, a physics issue with this, okay? Sure. Um, so the, one, of, one of the many definitions of AI is sort of a, a computer that can program itself better than like people can program it or something like that, like a, a robot which can manufacture its own upgrades and improvements and things like that, right? Um, and... As as a definition, it's a good concept to like hold on to. I can I can visualize that clearly as like being a threshold, but it also sounds a bit suspiciously like a perpetual motion machine. Um, like we you know oh, we're we're going to build this machine, and once once we finish it, it'll be hands off. It'll just literally take care of itself for the rest of time. Um, well, a perpetual because, motion machine, though, it, it would straightforwardly you know violate the laws of physics right because it needs i mean you need to get energy from somewhere but there's no obvious way in which like ai could not exist right except what i'm saying is that it would constantly need inputs inputs of Resources. human effort human intelligence um why do you say that why do i say that 
just because the energy that it would expend to gather the resources itself would probably not be offset by the amount of energy you could get from those resources. Um, I don't know. I don't know. In the the case of the human brain, uh, that's not the case. Okay, so why could there not be something else that works, I guess, in a similar way to the human brain except better? Right, so, okay. Or not, not even, actually, I shouldn't say works in a similar way to the human brain, because AI probably would not work in a similar way to a human brain, but... Right, well, and also, I mean, there's there's that funny thing about the human brain, is that I, I notice it distinctly doesn't work very well when it's not a part of a human body. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, thinking of the brain is just like this hard drive which is installed in your head is not actually a very productive metaphor yes. um, and leads to bad assumptions. Um, That's a good point. So... The idea that we might have like an, an intelligent robot, perhaps, like if if we sort of did it from the ground up, so that we'd we'd basically be, I mean, you'd basically be knocking someone up, like that's. So so you, it sounds like you're just basically skeptical of AI. Period. But like, could you grant? I'm skeptical of it. Period. Because I've seen past applications of automation and seen just how far they fall short of their sort of marketing potential. Like, you know, the big hubbub about uh, driverless cars, right? Well, of course, we've had driverless trains for a lot longer, um, and railways are a much more controlled environment, which makes it easier to automate them, which is why we've had them for longer. Um, and yet, despite this, despite having – it's it's 2018 now. We've had nearly 50 years of work in autonomous self-driving trains – and and they still frequently need a lot of human involvement just to keep functioning. Um, and I don't just mean human involvement like maintenance work. Um, I'm talking about like it's not uncommon to have a person on board as like an emergency just in case sort of thing, you know? Okay. Um, sure. And to handle some aspects of its operation. We, and that's that's a controlled guideway with fully timetabled operations. You know, let let alone a much more chaotic environment, which say a robotic dog would have to navigate. But self-driving you know? cars do already exist, and they seem to work. Although, I mean... I'm... Except for them, like, you know, not recognizing a stopped fire truck or, like, running over a pedestrian or speeding. Um, like, they they work, just not as advertised. They don't do anything near what they're advertised to do. Uh, okay, sure. But again, like, this is very new technology, and if you could compare this to, like, you know, uh, decades ago, we wouldn't even be able to talk about this stuff. So it, it certainly seems as that uh, this sort of technology is progressing uh, pretty quickly. Progressing, yeah. I just wonder, sort of, to what conclusion? Like, what, what would a fully matured technology down these lines to look a like? Nick Land conclusion. <laughs> I don't know. So back in the early 20th century, um, with sort of the explosion of air travel, um, you know, and, and a lot of airplanes at the time were small, like two-seater kind of deals, um, there, was a, there was a particular blend of, like, suburban wishful thinking, which thought that, you know, in the future, we would all, you know, fly auto gyros or whatever uh-huh. to get to our office. And there have even been built a couple of these uh, airstrip suburbs um, where like every house backs onto this one communally shared runway. Um, and, and obviously that didn't go anywhere. And it's not as if air travel didn't, you know, develop fantastically beyond what it was in the 1920s. It just didn't develop in that direction. That just happened not to be a practical or economically viable direction for air travel to develop in, even with all of the breakthroughs in computers, in, you know, materials, uh, in, in all that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of just one of those things. I feel like what, what people would like to get out of this isn't what they will get out of it, even though what they will eventually get out of it will be pretty awesome and, in retrospect, indispensable. So you're saying that, uh, you know, AI, you're skeptical that it will exist as it's currently envisioned, envisioned. but there would be something right. else. But there will likely yes, be something will, else. We will milk tremendous technological benefits from the study of ai what we will not get though are terminator scenarios we will not get like you know a flip scenario like mm, i don't know man i've I've talked to some some like ai paranoiacs i think they're funny um i I, I mean usually the uh like oh i guess are you talking about unfriendly ai 
Right, you know, the idea that, oh, we should be, should be shitting our pants at AI, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I read uh, Smart Opinions Man's blog. Uh, I don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> you know, Scott Alexander. That's... <laughs> oh, right, yes, okay, yes, yes. <laughs> and he said, no, um, I don't know, he, from what I understand, like, and this is mostly coming from from him, I'm, you know, I, I like to suck his dick quite a bit. Um, the idea is is that it's not that we need to be super worried about AI, but just that unfriendly AI is a possibility, and that it's worth investing resources in uh, trying to prevent it as AI further develops. Mm, like, do you, he, would you say I that... trust, has addressed the concern that if it's really AI our investments would be fairly powerless to stop it, Dishel. Like, has he... Oh, well, yeah, like, the idea is... He's covered the possibility. The idea is that it would be, you know, the, the, the investment he's talking about would be investment in terms of figuring out ways to, like, keep it in, like, a, quote, box, and also keeping about... Keep okay, right, about like, if it's, if it's smarter than us, couldn't it figure out ways to get out of the box? Well, that's that's the thing, right, is that... so. There are different ways that an AI might be able to do it, but but so if you just have an AI like on a computer that's not attached to the internet or anything, right? There's there's little it can actually do, right? It can't like make the computer, you know, it, it can't really do anything, right? But if it was connected to the internet, then that opens up infinite possibilities it could use to kill us. Um, but. Basically, the idea is that a lot of the resources would be used to develop ways to align the AI's uh, value system, the AI's incentives with our own, with human values, so that it doesn't ever decide to kill us in the first place, that it doesn't become unfriendly. Okay, I'm sorry. This do you... you will at least forgive me for saying this sounds suspiciously like um, we're... We're sure that uh, demon summoning is right around the corner, but we need to make sure that we invest uh, properly in our summoning materials so that said demon, which we intend to be more intelligent and more powerful than us, uh, doesn't decide to, I don't know, fuck us over with that exact capacity. But unlike um, a demon, right, an AI is not something that necessarily has like a, quote, will of its own. It's something that's very intelligent, but I think... Mistake. How can something be intelligent and not have a will of its own? Well, that's own. a mistake that I think people often uh, make when we're thinking about, um, you know, AI, right? Is that we think we, we sort of personify it a little bit more than it perhaps should be, right? Like, okay, so, you know, humans have desires such as, like, the desire to be free, the desire not to be enslaved, uh, you know, stuff like that. But why do we actually have those desires? That's remarkably optimistic. Well, okay, whatever, like, in, you know, what we have all sorts of desires, okay? But right. the, the point is, is that people... I guess what I'm saying is that an AI has to have a will to be an I, uh, you know, an intelligence. Otherwise, it's it's a dictionary or, like, a an internet, you no, know? It's, but, it's something which, which intelligences act upon, you know? I, I, to, I, to I understand, but, but the idea is, is that, so the only reason that humans have this idea, it's not something inherent to uh, our ability to, to problem solve or our ability to analyze things, right? Which is what, what intelligence really is. All that, the only reason we have these desires is because it was, you know, evolutionarily beneficial to have them. And in AI, which evolution doesn't act on, which is actually just literally, uh, just designed right there would not have to have any particular design. I don't know how in what we book it to someone who is a market guy can possibly think that a design system is going to work even remotely as good as a spontaneously organized one. Like, are you hearing yourself right now, dude? Like next you'll tell me that central, you know, planning of the economy is going to work much better than the market because it'll be designed and not guided by evolution. Uh, well, I'm not saying it's not a matter of better or worse, right? I'm just saying that it wouldn't have... You're right. It's a matter of possible or impossible. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, it, I'm not saying, okay, so it's going to, AI is going to work better because it doesn't have evolution guiding it. I'm saying that AI wouldn't just say, oh, I don't want to do what you tell me to because 
uh, it doesn't have evolution acting out. It's not that it will be better because of that. It's just that it won't have particular desires because of the lack of evolution. Okay, okay, I I get that. You know, in the sense that it's it's behaving more like a tool, but then again, it it is behaving like a tool, and we're back to the issue of it's you know it's intelligent the way a car is intelligent. The car doesn't get mad at you because of where you're trying to go. It, you push the no, buttons. No, and an AI wouldn't get mad at you because of where you're trying to go either. But the danger, I think. Right. Of uh, uh-huh. what the uh, the idea of unfriendly AI is not really that it gets mad at you, the the idea okay. with unfriendly AI is that it sort of misinterprets, uh, or or it runs too far with with what you're trying to with what you do tell it to do. Right. Okay. Okay. So so more of like a like a monkey paw thing. Sure. Yes. Basically, that's a good way to describe. Yeah. That. Okay. But so then then unfriendly is a bit of a misdirection and we're back to the the limits of our own intelligence to sufficiently anticipate the consequences of our actions. Um, And I I don't see how trying to anticipate harder is really going to solve that. You know, it's it's like it's like, you know, let's let's uh, how can I put this? You can put money into like earthquake mitigation, right? But you you can't realistically put any money into earthquake prevention, and even the best mitigation can get completely fucked over by one of those lovely black swan events where it's just something you literally hadn't anticipated and couldn't have expected, um, and and it just it just hits you and you have to you know react after the fact, not beforehand. I, I'm just not sure that that analogy entirely fits though, because in terms of AI, uh, there are reasons to believe that there are ways that we could prevent ai from becoming like what the term for it is unfriendly even though what it really means is just running too far and and the idea is we just need to find ways to to really specifically tell it what we actually want rather than telling it ways which it could semantically interpret and then do things we would consider bad like have you heard of the the paperclip machine thing of course right i I referenced it earlier yeah so so that's the kind of thing that that uh, could be perhaps avoided by coming up with some way to give a, a really detailed explanation to the AI to the paperclip machine of what we actually want. We don't want you to kill everyone. We just want you to make <laughs> a little bit of paperclips. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, do do you see why why I might be concerned about the futility of that? It's like it's like programming a computer or or writing a program and and not expecting to have any it's like saying we need to work out a way to write a program without any bugs i say this as a non-programmer of course so like it might be uh a bit stretched um and so i'm sorry if i'm like a bit off but uh i'm, not a I'm getting bug it either. yeah yeah so maybe maybe it's just a bad direction but um <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't. Th- I guess neither think, of us really think know. It's iterative. It, when you, when you, I've, I've had a couple of friends who worked in programming, and it's, it's an iterative process. There are always bugs, and you always have to fix them. And fixing them makes new bugs, and that's, that's just the game. It's like there's no perfect life form which lives forever, right? Like, mm-hmm. life is iterative. You have to keep on spawning more life um, to keep on responding to uh, the mistakes of the previous round um, and the defects in the previous code. Way back to cities, a functional and healthy city is one which has good processes for iteration. Um, ah, you know, where, that was very clever. Thank you, thank you. Um, but you know, where where you can uh, sort of a city should have a refresh rate. It should always be under construction. Um, and you, you know, some some iconic, some key buildings will probably endure for a long time. Um, and perhaps if they're really iconic, you might make a special effort to always keep them around. But generally speaking, uh, the buildings come and go like cells in the body, you know, like, like inhabitants in the city come and go, you know, um, a city's population is not fixed in time. And I don't just mean people moving in and out. I mean, them being born, getting old and dying. Um, and so, you know, one of the problems in America that I see just kind of in a general mentality, whether we're talking about city people or not, is a bit more of an assumption of the, I mean, even the capacity for permanence, let alone the desirability of it. Um, they think that things should pretty much stay exactly as they are and that they would put substantial effort into keeping them this way. And they need to put a lot of effort in because things don't stay the way they are. Um, 
but you know this this is one one reason from a long list of reasons uh, for our cities being dysfunctional is that we want them to be uh, sterile and not dynamic and alive. And that's why not every city can have a Grand Central Station. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, uh, I think we're running a bit out of time here. Uh, Lap, are you still with us? Do you have anything left to add? Oh, I think we lost Lap. Uh, and... Oh, no. He's taking a nap. <laughs> yeah, he fell asleep at the microphone. And... It's a lap nap. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Couldn't resist. Yes, okay. Well, anyway, this has been the Curse Discussions podcast. Uh, you can email us at uh, cursediscussions at gmail.com. Uh, with me today, again, Alex Forrest, Lap Gong Leong. Uh, thanks so much it's for been coming a on. pleasure. Yep. Bye. Take care. Bye. Yeah.